4, Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll be promptly turning over to Matthew chapter 28. But first, Ephesians chapter 4, and we've been noting Sunday night as the Lord has led to go over our ministerial questionnaire. And these are questions that uh, the church has voted upon before I became the pastor. And uh, <clears throat> they're ones that I use before I have anybody preach. Or even anybody who... Uh, we've had people contact, say, I'm, I'm a missionary, I'm going to be in the area... Like, know if I can come and, and present the work. And I say, give me your email, I'll send you some questions you need to answer before we give you countenance before the church. Uh, that's part of the job or the duties, not job's not a good word, but part of the duties of the under-shepherd is to guard the sheep. And so we do that. And we guard the pulpit. And... Uh, and, and if you don't have a copy of it, uh, let me know and I'll get some more printed off. But these are, these are 29 questions. Uh, Brother Kenneth Long, uh, pastor of church in Louisville, Kentucky, they have a 60-question questionnaire. They're essentially the same questions, just broken down differently. But these are 29 essential, fundamental things that this church requires someone to believe before ministering, feeding God's flock. And some folks say, and I've seen different ones from different churches, but uh, some churches I've seen articles of faith where they had two or three uh, articles of faith. That's all they had. And I thought, y'all only believe three things and have that in common? That's not real good. That's not real good. Well, we're noting the questions... uh, and I think it's 9, 10, 11, or 10, 11, 12. Um, 10, 11, 12. And these are about the ordinances that the Lord has given unto His church. And He's only given two that we term ordinances. And that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we noted how they're symbolic. And we noted that He put them in the church. And we're noting particularly baptism. And we know, have noted there's four essential things to having scriptural baptism. And we're on our third one. The first one that we noted was that it has to be uh, done the proper way or the proper mode. And that is, they have to be immersed. Then we noted that it has to be the proper candidate, which is somebody who's saved. And now we're noting this evening that it has to be done under proper authority. And you know, you might have some folks who they'll go along with the first two and you get to this one and they'll balk at it. And it's an amazing thing how that folks will balk at what God's Word says and agree with some of it. But we can't take a pen knife and cut up what we don't like. I remember Brother Leon, Brother Gail Wyckoff's uh, uh, dad, he, he had some folks there. He was a member of a church in Wellington, Kansas way back Oh, years ago, before the church in Caldwell was organized, and and he'd met some folks and talked to them, and they would cut out scriptures that they didn't agree with out of the Bible. And he says, what do you do with the ones on the other side of the page? And the fellow said, well, I guess those are wrong too. 
And that sounds about the way folks do, isn't it? But we want to look this evening here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse uh, 1, and let's read here down into verse <coughs> excuse me, verse 6. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then he says something very interesting here. There is one body. Now he's not referring to one universal body, is he? Because there's no such thing as a universal body. Amen. Amen. You know, your uh, body isn't everywhere, is it? And you know, it would be pretty hard for a universal church to assemble because the church is a called out assembly. You can't assemble universally. And it'd be real hard for, as people say, well, a church is comprised of everybody who's saved. Well, it's pretty hard for everybody who's saved to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace when everybody seems to believe just about something different. Well, Paul's not writing to a universal invisible church. Where would he mail it to? When he gave it to whoever took it to the church at Ephesus, he says, listen, you need to take this to the church at Ephesus. They knew exactly where to go to the church at Ephesus. And when you all came here, you knew exactly where to go. Church here in Plant City at this church. We assemble here. And so he says there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now you'll notice there in verse 5, he says there's one baptism. There's one baptism. There's one baptism that has been committed under the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only baptism that we've been given authority to administer or handle, if you would. And that is this baptism. Now we notice, as we said here, that there are those who depart from us on proper authority. I'd like you to turn over to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. And we'll make our way to Matthew 28 here momentarily. But I'd like you to notice that authority is very, very important unto the Lord. Very important to Him. And it's an amazing thing how folks disregard authority. But we find in the Gospel of John chapter 1... And you'll notice here that the Bible tells us here is John the Baptist and he's baptizing. And the Bible tells us in verse 28, these things were done in Bethbara, that is Bethany, in an area of Bethany beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, 
The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Spirit. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now you'll notice here in John chapter 1, several things. And again, we're looking at the importance of authority. And we find here in these verses that here is John and he's baptizing beyond Jordan. And the next day we are told that uh, Jesus comes and He sees him and He says, Behold the Lamb of God. And He says here, He says in these words, in verse 32, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon Him, and I knew Him not. But He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me. Now let me stop there. What you find here is that John didn't start baptizing of his own accord. He was sent by one to baptize, wasn't he? And the one that sent him was none other than the Lord Himself. He had authority to do it. That's why Jesus walked some 60 plus miles all the way to John to be baptized. Because He was the only one with authority. Now you turn over to Matthew chapter 3 and you'll see how great of a truth this is about authority. And we'll get into this a little more here in this lesson. But you know, there's a lot of folks who are baptizing and they don't have any authority to do it. They don't have any authority to do anything. Not from God. And that's the only authority there is. In Matthew chapter 3, and in verse 13, notice, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of Him. And again, you look at that. That's some 60 plus miles. And I just happened to Google what city is 60 miles from us. You know Orlando 62.8 miles according to Google Maps. I mean, imagine walking that. I don't even like driving it. I don't mind the distance. I don't care for the traffic. But you imagine walking. You might get there quicker than driving. But imagine walking from Plant City to Orlando. I mean, how many bodies of water are you going to pass? And how many people might you find willing to plunge you into water? But Jesus was determined because there was only one who had authority to do it. So He went to John because He was the one who sent John in the first place. Oh, we learn a lot about Christ. And I don't pat myself on the back for being a Baptist and having authority. I'm done tired of, of folks of our churches and our like faith patting stuff. Well, we're the only ones with authority, but you're not doing anything with it. That's the sham of it all. I mean, you look round about and you see a lot of folks, a lot of churches, so called churches, they don't have any authority. But they're they're out there doing something. It ain't biblical, don't misunderstand me. 
Well, you know, it sounds like a modern-day Baptist screaming at everybody saying, you don't have authority, but you got authority and you won't do anything with it. We'd be better off, instead of screaming at folks they don't have authority, to just take our authority and carry out the Great Commission. And just carry it out. And go preach the Gospel to every creature. But Jesus went all the way to John to be baptized. While there are those who baptize saved folk only, those who baptize by immersion only, yet if they don't have any authority, as Dad said, as Grandpa Hilly said, all they did was go in dry and come out wet. There's no scripturalness to it. It doesn't, it, it, to put it clearly and plainly and mildly, it doesn't count. You see, baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus died, was buried, and rose again upon God's authority. You read there in John chapter 10 how that the Bible says, He says, I lay down my life. Why did He lay down? Because He received that commandment from His Father. Amen. It was with authority that He laid His life down. And He took it up again because the Father gave Him authority to do that. If you don't have authority, you cannot picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, authority is like jurisdiction. And I remember when, when I was in law enforcement, we had a jurisdiction. It was five around about five miles. It wasn't square, I can tell you that much. But we had five miles, and next door to us was Mount Morris Township, and next door to their jurisdiction was the city of Flint. And most people know about Flint is they got lead in the water. Well, they got more problems than lead in the water. But round about any night, you might hear a call from Mount Morris Township or a call go out from Mount Morris Township for shots fired or anything of that nature. And a police officer in Mount Morris Township, they were, I forget what their numbers were, but they'd answer up on the radio and they'd say, send it to me and someone would go and they'd say, Another car to go with them. And if nobody from Mount Morris Township answered up, I'd answer up 4319. I'll go with him. And then you know what had to happen? The Mount Morris Township officer, he had to say he's requested. So that's kind of like being deputized. See, I couldn't go into Mount Morris Township and enforce any laws because it wasn't my jurisdiction. I didn't have any authority over there. I couldn't write a ticket for jaywalking. But as soon as he requested me, I was now authorized for that call. See, authority makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? That's kind of like, you know, an amazing thing we see today is nations, they want to give up their they're, you know, for lack of an expression, but they'll call a nation, say it's a sovereign nation. They want to give up their sovereign nation status and just hand over all authority to the UN. And it's just a sign of the times. That's all it is. 
But authority makes all the difference. Listen, James said in James 4.12, there is one lawgiver. Paul wrote in Romans 13 and verse 1, for there is no power but of God. So in order to have authority to baptize, it has to come from God, doesn't it? It has to come from Him. The Lord Himself is the source of all authority. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. And notice if you would here, verse 18. Notice what Christ said right before He gives His church the Great Commission. He says in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, this tremendous, tremendous statement. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. He says, I've got every bit of it. And then He tells His church, here's what I'm going to give you jurisdiction to do. Isn't that something? And you know everything in all of the epistles that are respectful or written respective of church and the duties of a church and church members, do they all fall under these three categories? Number one, go ye therefore and teach all nations or make disciples. That's the first one, isn't it? See, everything falls underneath that heading. If it doesn't fall underneath that heading, it falls under the next one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if it doesn't fall under either one of those two, it will fall under this one, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Even church discipline falls under teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Because you're teaching people that this way of thinking and this behavior is not biblical and it's unacceptable. That's the purpose of discipline, to instruct. But again, Jesus said, I have all authority. And then He says to the church, here's what you get to do. Here's what I would have you to do. It's the responsibility of the church. There's some people say, well, it's the minister's job to, to go and do all the evangelism. And it's his job to do all the teaching, but it's the church's job to do baptizing. No, it's not. You can't cut up the Great Commission like that. It's either all given unto the church, or none of it's given to the church. And Scripture indicates that He gave it unto His church. This is who Christ gave to be the administrator of that one baptism in Ephesians 4. Now, authority is very important. So the next question is, who did Christ give authority to? Well, He gave it to His church. In Matthew chapter 28, if you back up into verse 16, these were not disciples at large. These were not freelance preachers. This was His church. These were the same eleven that after Judas had been dismissed, he had instituted the Lord's Supper to and held it with those 11 church members. 
I mean, the guy whose house they had it in, Simon, he wasn't even in that room. And after Christ was crucified, was buried, and rose again, the Bible tells us that Christ had appointed them. He says, I want you to meet in this place. Because it says in verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mount where Jesus had appointed them. He said, this is where I want you to meet. And what was this but an ecclesia or an ecclesia? This was a called out assembly. This concept today that we're facing, that ecclesia, which is translated church, except for a few times in the book of Acts where it's translated assembly, that it means simply the called out ones is incorrect. It means called out and assembled. And here we find that here they assembled. Oh, they'd been called out. But now they were assembling, weren't they? You see, Jesus didn't give authority to baptize just to His universal and visible church at large. He didn't give it to the eleven disciples individually. He couldn't have. Because the Bible tells us in verse 20, same, same you know, text, the very last phrase, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, if Christ gave it to the eleven disciples, then this commission ended with each of them individually as they died. And Christ is a liar because He said He would be with them even unto the end of the world. See, it must be that He gave it unto His church. That's what it must be. The fact that Philip, who was a deacon, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, teaches us that it was given unto the church and not to the apostles. And if he gave it unto his church, then we read in 1 Corinthians when Paul was at Corinth and he baptized some. Well, he wasn't here on this mountaintop, was he? No, he wasn't. He wasn't even saved yet. So it couldn't have been given to individual people. It was given unto the church. He gave it unto His called out assembly, which we believe is now His New Testament Missionary Baptist Church. I was asked the other day, somebody said, well, well, you're not Southern Baptist and you're not an association, you're not a convention. What are you? What are you guys? It says, or the church, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, how can you make that statement? I says, how can we not make that statement? I don't say it pridefully. I say it based on the authority of God's Word. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the true church of the Lord. Scripturally organized. With authority granted unto us. Not from heaven... This was the last time authority came from heaven. Right here. And we'll show in just a minute how churches have gotten authority to baptize and and carry out the Great Commission ever since then in just a minute. But let's have a little history, a church history lesson. Here we are shortly after, around about A.D. 33. And there was only one church. I mean, not even one kind of a church. There's only one church. 
And here they were at Galilee, and eventually they would settle in Jerusalem. But it wasn't for almost 300 years until another kind of a church came on the scene. You know how that happened? Some Roman emperor saw a fiery red cross in the sky. And he said, that's a sign from God that I'm going to save the empire by switching over to Christianity. His name was Constantine. Well, there's a problem because the church of Jesus Christ was established during his earthly ministry. It was established by him with authority from heaven. And what Constantine did is now known as the Catholic Church. Well, it wasn't for a little over a thousand years from then. And then Luther comes on the scene. Well, Luther, you're about 1,500 years too late. And nothing can be made clean out of that which is unclean. That's why when God saves us, He doesn't reform us. He regenerates us. And we're a new creation. That's why you could never reform an unbiblical church. And it's sad to see folks celebrating reformers today as if they did something that was biblical or scriptural. Because they didn't. What Luther should have done was what the Bible says in Revelation, and that is to come out from among her. And he should have been baptized by a Baptist is what he should have done. And join one of the Lord's churches. Well, time pressed on. And in 1534, King Henry VIII got upset because he couldn't get a divorce. And so he told the archbishop there in England, he said, listen, I'll make you the head of the church. You grant me a divorce. And that's the short, short end of it. And thence you got the Episcopalian church. And then in 1536, John Calvin comes around and starts Presbyterians. Oh, everybody loves Calvin. The problem is Old Testament saints have been preaching what is today known as Calvinism. Paul preached it. Christ preached it long before Calvin ever knew what it was. He didn't reform anything. And old John and Chuck Wesley come along. They write some good hymns. But they don't start good churches. We sing a lot of their hymns, and they're very good. But they should have stuck with singing and writing hymns and not with organizing a church. And then old Alexander Campbell comes on the scene. And these Church of Christ, when you call them Campbellites, boy, it's just like goading them, isn't it? Because, and, and you can just read about his history, he had a lot of issues. But he was about 1,800 years too late. Because Christ had already established His church. You see, He already had one body. 
And it didn't need reformed. See, the Bible tells us, and, and, and let's turn over to Revelation, and I'll give you the chapter and a verse here in just a second. But in Revelation chapter 17, we're told about the world's religious system. And the Bible describes it. And the church, is, the church of the living God is referred to as a woman it, it, because it's espoused unto Christ. It's, it's, it, out of His church will be comprised His bride. John wrote unto the elect lady, which I believe was a church. Revelation chapter 17, the world's religious system is referred to as a woman. But instead of a chaste and virgin bride, she's referred to as a mother and a harlot and a great whore. Listen to what the Lord says here in the Spirit gives unto John to write in Revelation 17 and verse uh, four, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now notice, if you back up into verse 1, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked to me, saying, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. This is the world's religious system. And Scripture indicates clearly, and I am not going to go into it tonight, but the mother is the church of Rome, and the harlot daughters are all of Protestantism. We as true Baptists are not Protestants. We're His church. We're not a denomination. We're the church of the living God. And now, since about World War II and everybody wanting to conform and not have any differences and setting aside differences so that they pretty much believe absolutely nothing, now we've got these non-denominational churches. Well, as I told one fellow in Kansas... Jesus didn't go to John the non-denominationalist to be baptized. He went to John the Baptist. They're not the Lord's church. I'm not saying there aren't folks who are saved. I believe there are folks who are saved. Because Jesus said, you read in, in chapter 18 of Revelation to verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, that is the harlot and her daughters, Come out of her, my people. I believe he's got people of his who are saved. But they're in error as far as church goes. They don't have scriptural baptism. They're not going to be in the bride. And I don't boast of that because it's all of grace that we see these things. It's all of grace. Amen. There have been different names given unto the Lord's church down through the ages. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 2, it was called this way. In Acts 11 and verse 26, at Antioch, they were first called Christians. In Acts 24 and verse 5, Paul states that they were called a sect of the Nazarenes. Down through history, they've been called Paulicians, Novatians, or Novatans, Waldensians, Cathares. And many other names. 
And then they were known very, very well as Anabaptists, meaning rebaptizers, because they rejected the authority on the grounds that they didn't have authority to baptize, so anybody who came over, they were quote unquote rebaptized. And then it just was too many syllables, I guess, for our enemies to pronounce that they just dropped the Anna and we became known as Baptists. But we would prefer that folks would just refer to us as the Church of the Living God at such and such a place. Amen. Someone once said, and I, I believe this, not all with the Baptist name are true and sound Baptists. They're not. You used to be able to go, and, and some of you have experienced this. You're traveling out of town, and you used to be able to walk into a church, had the name Baptist on it, and you hear something scriptural. Now you don't know if you're going to see a rock concert or what. But this authority was given unto his church. And Christ, because He has all authority, because He has all power, and because He said the gates of hell will not prevail against My church, His church never had to be reformed. That's not to mean that churches didn't go into air and then had to come out of it. It didn't mean that churches didn't lose their lampstands or cease to be. This is one of the ways in which God has perpetuated His church is by churches preaching the gospel and organizing other churches. Amen. What happens if this church, all of a sudden, and, and there's not a person here who is above it, and if you think you are, you need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Bible says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's not a person here, a member of this church, who's not above going away from the truth of God's Word. Amen. We are kept by the power of God. Amen. That being said, what are you going to do if this church departs from the Word of the Lord? What are you going to do if this church doesn't practice what God's Word says? What if we never evangelize this community and the communities around us and the Lord does, and, we, and, and we don't establish other churches. Boy, we'd be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? That's how God perpetuates His church, by establishing other churches. So it wasn't given unto the apostles for various and quite clear reasons. They're all physically dead, spiritually they're with the Lord, had to be given unto His church. Well, let's notice then, how then do we have authority today to baptize? Because again, in, as I said in Matthew chapter 28, this is the only time that God granted authority to a church to baptize. And I can't just go over here, you can't go over here and say, well, we're going to be our own church. And we're, we're going to take authority. That's not biblical. 
That's not scriptural practice. Well, let's look at a principle, first of all, in Genesis chapter 1. You see, and I've said this before, when you read Scriptures, you need to look for the principles as well. You need to look at what God is saying, and you need to look at what's going on. And look at what is being practiced. And God has established this from the very beginning. And I remember my father teaching this, and he said, like begets like. That's why the church of Rome can never be anything but a false church. And anything that comes out of it can be anything but a false church. Because like can only beget like. That's why when God created everything, it was good. But when Adam had fallen in sin, the Bible specifically tells us when God made him, He created him in His own image. And when Adam and Eve conceived seed, they were made in the likeness of Adam. See how the Scriptures guard over that truth that like begets like. Genesis chapter 1, and notice verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good. You see those three words? After his kind. After his kind. Verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl, after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. He said it six times. So we get it. That like produces like. You know what dogs have when they have babies? They don't have cats. They have dogs. And do you know what humans have? They have humans. And do you know what false churches have? They have false churches. And you know what true churches do? They have true churches. Because like begets like. That's the principle of the Scriptures. Now Christ gave authority unto man. And it says in verse 28, And God blessed them, that is the man and the woman. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So He gave them authority to be fruitful and multiply. And He's given His church authority to preach the gospel unto every creature, to baptize and teach and observe all things. He has given them authority to be fruitful and to multiply, hasn't He? Well, look over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. 
There's been a number of fellows who've departed from this down through the years who once said they agreed with us. And, and the best way I can term it is they have situational theology. That their theology depends on what situation they're in. And that's not a theology we want to have. You see, Scriptures dictate our theology, not situations. He's the God of situations. And you know God will test this church. He'll say, listen, here's, here's, here's an opportunity. Satan will tempt us. Here's an opportunity. Just like he did as the Bible tells us about the one king that God left him to see what was in him. God already knew what was in him. He was just revealing to that king what was in himself. God will test this church on baptism. He'll test this church and you can accept this person over here's baptism. They don't have authority. You're going to take them in? You know, well, we're a small church. We'll go ahead and take them in this one time. Or, oh man, maybe, maybe you know, they come in here, maybe the tithes and offerings will go up. And I tell you, I've heard that out of two preachers' mouths. And I said, your lampstand is in question if you do this. You take in alien immersion knowingly. And you're going to have an issue with the Lord about your lampstand. That has been the position of Baptists down through the centuries. This is that serious of an issue. In Acts chapter 11, you'll notice here in verse 19, you remember upon the persecution of Stephen, what happened? The Lord scattered the churches. He told them to go into all the world preach the gospel, and they didn't. They just kind of huddled around Jerusalem. So persecution was sent, and they were scattered all over the world, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel, but the apostles stayed there. So says the Word of God. Now notice in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch preaching uh, the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they set forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now I want you to notice here that the Bible says in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. But there's zero mention of a church yet, is there? The only mention of the church is the one in Jerusalem that Christ gave authority to when they were in Antioch or in Galilee, in the mountain, and then He told them to wait in Jerusalem, tarry there, until they were endued with power on the day of Pentecost. And there they were. And now the tidings have heard that, boy, when we were scattered abroad and they went preaching Jesus Christ, the Lord saved people. So what did the church do? Verse 22, Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. What did they send him forth for? 
I mean, what was the purpose of it? Well, let's read a little more. Who, that is Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So before Barnabas went up there, they were just disciples. And then the church at Jerusalem sent him there. And then he goes against Paul and he comes back and they're a church. Well, how'd that happen? Did they just get together and say, you know what, let's be a church? I believe the church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas with authority. And they were organized under the authority of the church at Jerusalem. To become a church. The same way Jesus did. John was the forerunner and he preached the gospel and they were saved and he baptized and material was prepared and Jesus took and he prayed all night and he took out of those that John had preached to and were saved and that were baptized and he took twelve and he organized and established his church. That's the same way Baptist churches have been doing it ever since. Amen. Same way. That's why this church, when it left Ahava, didn't just get together and say, well, let's just be a church. No, they sought authority from another church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They couldn't just take it. They couldn't just claim it. It has to be given. It has to be extended. It has to be done by another church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I suppose if we were to believe that anybody could be a church, we'd have to believe then that anything could just pronounce itself to be a human being. That a baby could just make itself come together. Well, we know better than that. But theologically, people just don't know better than that, do they? Isn't it a sad thing that God has given us all of creation to teach us and to bear witness to us about spiritual things? No wonder Satan wants us to think that we evolve. I mean, that's what spontaneous generation, a church organization is essentially, is that it's, it's, it's evolution of a church. There is no such thing. So if you and I get in disagreement and you go off and want to start your church or I get in a disagreement and I want to go off and start my church, we can't do it. We have to be granted authority from another church. You see, the deacons don't have authority. I can't find yet where there's a deacon board in the Bible. I can't find where deacons were put in charge of anything but tables. And they were servants of the church and the physical things. And I can't find in the Bible where a bishop was given authority to baptize. But I do find where a church was given authority. 
And they would send out missionaries and men to go and preach the Gospel. And they would grant them authority to baptize because that's what they did. That's what's still done today. We send men out who the Lord works in their hearts and He works in our hearts and they become members of this church and they feel love Lord to go to this place or that place or the other and we grant them authority and they go and they preach and they not only preach but when souls are saved they're baptized and when a number are gathered together who have believed and we see God's hand in it we organize them into a church. One of the brethren in Peru asked us, how long ought a mission to be a mission before it's a church? And I said, well, what's the Scripture say about it? He said, well, the Scriptures don't say anything about it. And I said, well, there you go. I honestly think that the Lord leads between the pastor and the missionary. And they're going to be on the same page when that's to be organized. And I believe that when the Lord does that, everything's just going to be just in, in, in one in unity. So the question is, is your baptism scriptural? Were you baptized with the proper authority? What church baptized you? Where did their authority come from? Say, I don't know. You might want to find out. You might want to call them. We got this great thing. It's called the internet. And there's a lot of information on there. That if the church that baptized you is no longer in existence, you might be able to find some records online about it. You might be. But we don't require, because God's Word doesn't require, us to trace our history on paper other than this paper. That's why we go by faith and practice. You can't honestly look at the Church of Rome, Luther, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, Church Christ, non-denominationalists and a whole bunch of Baptists today and say that they're doing what this book says. That they're practicing the way the church at Acts, or the church at Jerusalem in Acts, and the church at Antioch in Acts practiced. We can't honestly say that. That's why we go by faith and practice. What do they believe? And how do they practice it? And practice will reveal what they believe. Isn't that true? People say, well, I believe that, but they don't practice it, then they really don't believe it. Their practice reveals what they believe. So here is authority. People say, oh, you make too much of it. We make as much of it as Christ does in the Word of God. We don't hate other... We don't hate denominations. We're not a denomination or a church. We don't hate them. But we have such care and concern 
and love for God's Word and for the Lord Jesus Christ and His church that we cannot deviate from the Word of God. Can't do it. And I'll say this and we'll close. If we think we're going to take this stand in our own ability and in our own might, it won't happen. We're going to have to take this stand by God's strength and His grace, trusting in His work. That's it. And this church has had that stand for 57 years. And it's only by God's grace and strength that it has. And it'll be another 57 years if the Lord doesn't come back. Only by God's grace and strength. Not because you're some great saint or I'm some great minister or some great pastor. But because we trust God and we follow Him. Remember what I said some time ago. That the purpose of this church is to not get a bunch of people in the pews. If that's the goal, we'll compromise on everything, one by one. But if the purpose of this church and the desire of this church is to glorify God, then we can't compromise, can we? And we can't deviate from the Word of God. And it ought to be the desire of this church and it ought to be the desire of the pastor of any of his churches that if anybody wants to be a member of this church and there is the slightest question about their baptism that we stand united and say you're going to have to be rebaptized. You're going to have to be rebaptized. Brother Gail Wyckoff, and he can tell you when he gets here, he can tell you his own story, but when they organized the work there in Kansas, he wasn't sure about his baptism, about the authority. So he submitted to scriptural baptism. He said, well, you didn't need to do that. He said, yes, I did. Because he wanted to make sure it was right. Boy, we ought to, shouldn't we? Now, it ain't going to make you any more saved. And it ain't going to wash away any sins. But it is a question of following the Lord. And being in agreement with thus saith the Word of God. So we pray that this message will be a blessing to each one. And the seriousness of people say, oh, you you act like it's serious. Or I've heard people, when you preach on the Word of God, say, I didn't realize it was that serious. Are you kidding me? You didn't realize the Word of God was that serious? He said, every jot and tittle will be fulfilled because it is serious. We ought to to understand that. May God help us to. Let's stand and have a word of prayer.